The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were going to a town named Emmaus. Emmaus. It is about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself came near and began walking with them. They were not allowed to recognize Jesus. Then he said, what are these things you're talking about while you walk? The two followers stopped. Their faces were very sad. The one named Cleopas answered, You must be the only one in Jerusalem who does not know what just happened there. Jesus said to them, What are you talking about? The followers said, It is about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet from God to all the people. He said and did many powerful things. Our leaders and the leading priests gave him up to be judged and killed. They nailed him to a cross, but we were hoping that he would free the Jews. It is now the third day since this happened, and today some women among us told us some amazing things. Early this morning, they went to the tomb, but they did not find his body there. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels. The angels said that Jesus was alive. So some of our group went to the tomb too. They found it just as the women said, but they did not see Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, You are foolish and slow to realize what is true. You should believe everything the prophets said. They said that the Christ must suffer these things before he enters his glory. Then Jesus began to explain everything that had been written about himself in the scriptures. He started with Moses, and then he talked about what all the prophets had said about him. They came near the town of Emmaus, and Jesus acted as if he did not plan to stop there. But they begged him, stay with us. It is late. It is almost night. So he went in to stay with them. Jesus sat down with them and took some bread. He gave thanks for the food and divided it. Then he gave it to them. And then they were allowed to recognize Jesus. But when they saw who he was, he disappeared. They said to each other, when Jesus talked to us on the road, it felt like a fire burning in us. It was exciting when he was explaining the true meaning of the scriptures. So the two followers got up at once and went back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven apostles and get others gathered. They were saying, the Lord really has risen from death. He showed himself to Simon. Then the two followers told what had happened on the road. They talked about how they recognized Jesus when he divided the bread. The gospel of the Lord. Now I know you're all listening very intently to that. Very long. Okay, I have a little something to illustrate. So, Elijah, you hold this. Allie, you come here. Allie has a, a new best friend. Yeah, Ellie. Oh, you're a friend too. You're a friend, you're a friend too. So these two gals are, are, are getting to be even better friends. Am I right? Okay. So imagine this. 
you're walking along and you're talking with your friend and you're walking and talking and you're walking and talking. So go take a quick little stroll around. Tell secrets. <laughs> so this is, this is true. So they, the more time they spend together, the closer they get. The more time that they're... T- <laughs> The more time that they have with each other, little, little things, little events, being here together, being in church together, going and doing fun events together, right? They, they get closer and they get closer. Come here, you're not done. Okay, so imagine this just for a moment. Well, because she's robed. Just imagine for a minute that this is Jesus' best friend, that this is Jesus who is and always will be your best friend. Okay? And you just took a stroll and you felt Jesus right next to you, right? I could see you holding arms, okay? Now go take that spin without. A little faster. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's the big, here's the big emphasis. Even when we feel like we're alone. And maybe did you feel more alone? Imagine this. Imagine that even when you do that and you feel like you're alone, and even when you might not be able to feel this linking of arms and this connectedness and this togetherness, that Jesus is still with you all the time. All the time. Whether you feel it or see it, even when you're mad, even when you're frustrated, even when you're screaming at God, like, how could you do this to me? Even in those times, best friend is here. Take that. Chew on that. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Take that. (laughs) I love that. That was awesome. (laughs) So last Sunday, we heard about Doubting Thomas. If you weren't here, you're probably still familiar with the story that Thomas said, you know, unless I see Jesus, and unless I put my hands in his side and touch him, I'm not going to believe that he's resurrected. And then this Sunday, we have this story of these followers of Jesus that are walking home to Emmaus, and they're sad, they're disappointed, their hopes are dashed, because it's still Easter Sunday, by the way, just later in the afternoon, this person who they had entrusted all of their hopes and dreams that he would be a ruling political leader, for them and a just one and a godly one had died. And not only had he died, but that very morning they'd heard from some women and a couple of other witnesses that went to the tomb 
where he had been buried, where he had been laid, to discover that the stone was rolled away, an angel was sitting on top of the stone, and he, they were told, he's not here, he's risen. So these two people on their walk home to Emmaus, who followed Jesus and were a lot of his teachings, probably were part of the crowd that saw the feeding of the 5,000. These two witnesses, even though they'd heard from the women and, and perhaps Peter and perhaps John who ran after to see and sure enough, Jesus wasn't there. He was risen, kind of mysterious, but still there's hope now. They didn't believe it. Like Thomas, they said, I didn't see it. I don't believe it. We're going home. So they're on this road. They're on this road to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem. Having walked the Camino in Spain, seven miles, I will tell you, depending on the terrain, takes anywhere from two to four hours to walk. That's a pretty typical amount of time to walk for seven miles. I walk seven miles a lot in San Clemente, and as long as I don't stop and get a Starbucks or Pedro's Taco or something, it takes me about two and a half hours to do seven miles. So, so they're walking for a while, and they're on the road, and I'm sure, you know, they're, they're feeling pretty low. They're, they're really sad because this person that they had followed around who they thought was the answer to all of their hopes and dreams for Israel, well, it turned out, as far as they were concerned, he wasn't. So we pick up the story. So we re remember both doubting Thomas, who had to actually touch and see and feel the scars and the holes in Jesus' hands and side. He wasn't going to believe until that happened. And then we th talk about these two um, followers on the road to Emmaus. And, and they were the same way. Their doubts weren't going to be satisfied by a second-hand piece of information from people who maybe they thought were being a little bit hysterical. So they're walking along talking, and suddenly Jesus, they don't know it's him yet, he appears, and, and they start talking to him, and, and they tell him all that's happened, and they can't believe that he doesn't know what's happened over the course of the last three days. And they say something really important. They say, after they've kind of told him that Jesus was killed, like Jesus needed to know that, um, they, they said, but we were hoping that he would free the Jews. We were hoping. Have you ever had an experience in your life where you had high hopes for something, for some person or some situation, and those hopes weren't realized? Let me guess the answer. Yeah. <laughs> I think we walk through our lives with all kinds of crises where our hopes aren't realized, our dreams are dashed, um, we're heartbroken over a series of events, 
we don't understand why things have gone so sour when we have entrusted our lives to Jesus, when we've entrusted our hopes to God, when we felt that what we were doing and the way we were conducting our lives was God-honoring, that we were on the right path, that our prayers were being heard. And then suddenly, like these two travelers on the road to Emmaus, we discover that our hopes, well, just didn't turn out the way we thought it would. Last week, Father Michael, when he was talking about Doubting Thomas, he, he said a few things that I think are really critical when we think about how our hopes are dashed, how, how our dreams are shattered, how we end up doubting and, and wondering about our faith when things get hard. And he said three or four things. I took notes. I was a good student last week. I took notes. And here's a couple of the things Father Michael said about doubt that are pertinent to what we're talking about today. Doubt is the presence of uncertainty. Faith is not necessarily the absence of doubt. Doubt is a refiner of faith. That's an important one. Doubt is a refiner of faith. And doubt often involves the question, what does all this mean? And you can bet those two travelers, Cleopas and what quite a few scholars believe is his wife traveling with him, you can bet they're asking, what does all this mean? Our hopes have been dashed, so what the heck has gone on here? So when Jesus appears, they don't recognize him. The scripture says God didn't allow them to recognize him. And, and he starts, they tell him that their hopes are dashed. And then Jesus starts telling them the entire story, the entire prophecy, the biblical story that predicted exactly what's happened. And he opens, the, it says, the passage says, he opens the scriptures to them from Moses and all the prophets. Jesus walks with them. He walks with them in their doubts. He walks with them in their heartache. He walks with them with their questions and their lost hope. And he explains the whole story, beginning with Moses. Thomas just stuck his finger in his side and saw Jesus physically, and that was enough for them, for him. For Cleopas and his wife, or whoever else his companion was, they needed, for whatever reason, they needed to hear the whole story of salvation beginning with Moses. And they needed one more thing. As they arrived at their destination, their hometown, Emmaus, it was getting dark, and it appeared that Jesus was going to keep going. And they said, oh, don't do that. Come and stay with us, spend the night, have a meal with us, and then you can continue on um, to your destination in the morning. So Jesus did. And they sat down at table, and, and 
Jesus picked up the bread and he gave thanks. He offered thanks for this meal. And then he broke the bread. And our passage tells us that their eyes were opened. We don't think they were in the upper room for the Last Supper, but I can, I'd be willing to bet you some money they were probably at the feeding of the 5,000. They'd probably shared many meals with Jesus as followers with him as they went to different towns and he preached and he healed and Jesus did what he did. They followed him around, so they'd seen him countless times break bread, offer thanks, and share. And when that moment of gratitude, of thanksgiving, of, of revelation came, their hearts burst open, the scales left their eyes, and incidentally, Jesus disappeared. <laughs> but they knew that God, that Jesus was present with them in their doubts in their shattered hopes, in their lack of faith, in their wondering. Have you ever had an experience in your own life where you have been in that dark place? And taking it a little bit farther, have you had an experience of being in that dark place and Jesus making himself known to you, making his presence known to you. I've had lots of in my, in my life. I think one of the privileges of living a longer life is um, eventually we start to tend to get it. You know, we start to understand that even in the dark place, that eventually, you know, something good, God's going to make himself known, something positive will come out of the difficulty. And if we've lived long enough, it helps to know that. It doesn't keep us from doubting and shaking our fist at God. And I'm going to tell you a fist-shaking story. That was hard to say, but I got it out. Dave and I went to seminary in 2004. And it, we went together, which is sometimes unusual, um, for a married couple to attend seminary together and to be ordained together, but that seemed to be the call in our lives, and we went with a lot of anticipation and joy and um, wondering, and how the heck is this going to work, you know, all those kinds of questions. Prior to us going to seminary, Dave had been a physical therapist for 25 years, and he was a really, really good physical therapist. Um, he went through physical therapy school when we were first married, finished his classes, all the requirements in 20 months, aced his exams, aced the exams to also be an athletic trainer because he worked at USC. Um, he breezed through school. And when we got to seminary, he didn't breeze through school. We were, we were in our 50s now, and um, in retrospect, I think Alzheimer's had started. We just, you know, didn't know. He really struggled with any memory work. So uh, we were taking Greek, summer Greek, and, and Dave, Dave failed summer Greek. And so he had to take Greek um, throughout about three semesters of seminary uh, to pass. 
you don't pass summer Greek, you don't graduate. If you don't pass Greek, you don't graduate. So it was hard for him. School was hard. And he struggled, and he took a lot of hits to his ego and a lot of wondering, am I going to be able to do this? Even though, God, I've heard your call that I am to be a priest in the church, am I going to be able to do this? And we got ordained. We graduated. We got ordained. It wasn't easy. Fast forward about, that was 2007, fast forward about three years, and um, Dave was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And his abilities were starting to go. He was still able to preach a sermon if I wrote it for him. He could read a sermon if I wrote it for him. He couldn't write a sermon anymore. He was able to uh, celebrate Eucharist. He was, he was certainly able to listen to people and pray and pastor them, which has, had always been his greatest strength. He was such a compassionate person. But he was starting to really go downhill. And one of the things that was part of that journey was he lost his ability to drive a car, which was heartbreaking. So, in my personality... The way I handle things that I don't like that are going on in my life is I, I have a walk with God, and I start fist shaking. Have you ever done that? God, why are you doing this to him? You know, why, this was my question, why did you allow us to go through seminary for Dave to take all these hits that he took only to have it taken away from him? I was really mad because it really was hard for him. He struggled tremendously. And I was just giving it to God. How could you do that to me? And after I got that out, it took a while. (laughs) God was, he might as well have been Lynette standing right here. Or as Thomas was with Jesus in the upper room, or Cleopas and his wife on the road to Emmaus. God was very much present in God's answer to me. And what God said to me was, Karen, (laughs) yes, God, Had Dave remained a physical therapist and not become a priest, first of all, his call to the priesthood would never have been realized. And that would have been a sad thing. But let me tell you one other thing that's really important for you to know. Had had Dave remained a physical therapist, he wouldn't have church pension insurance. He wouldn't have church pension disability. Your financial security would be seriously threatened. See how I've provided for you, God said? (laughs) 
And once again, <laughs> I knew the word of the Lord, <laughs> and I was humbled and amazed and grateful. And while the next few years weren't easy, my faith was built in the knowledge that I knew God was caring for us. Didn't know how it was going to turn out. Sorry. But he was caring for us. He had us. Sometimes when we cry out to God like I was fish shaking at him, we don't get an answer right away. Sometimes we live our whole lives and don't get the answer, right? I'm sure some of you have some lingering questions about something awful that's happened in your life or the death of a loved one or a loss of a job and financial ruin or, you know, fill in the blank. Sometimes we don't get an answer right away. But based on my experience, based on Thomas's experience and Cleopas and his wife and countless people, countless saints through the ages, I think it's safe to say that no matter what we're going through, God is with us. We may not be, like Gina's little illustration, we may not be aware of God walking with us. We may feel alone and unanswered and undervalued and unheard and hopeless. But the fact is, God is with us, even when we don't know it. So I want to teach you a little song. And this little song helps me. I do it sometimes, I sing it sometimes when I'm walking. It helps me remember who I am and to whom I belong and the fact that God is always with me. You ready? Okay. Now, let's see if I can sing. <clears throat> it goes like this. And if you know it, start singing with me right away. If you believe and I believe and we together pray, the Holy Spirit must come down and set God's people free. And set God's people free. And set God's people free. The Holy Spirit must come down and set God's people free if you believe and I if you believe and I believe and we together pray the Holy Spirit must come down and set God's people free and set God's people free and set God's people free the Holy Spirit must come down and set God's people free. And all God's people say, 